first reading is taken from uh, Matthew 7, starting at verse 13, which you'll find on page 971 of your Pew Bibles. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The second reading is taken from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20, and can be found on page 983 of the Pew Bibles. Peter's Confession of Christ. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be here well this morning. My last attempt didn't work. But anyway, thank you for your good wishes. Um, I wasn't very well two weeks ago, and then last weekend we'd already booked to be away. So I just feel a little bit as if I've not been around, um, but I'm well. So thank you very much. 
We're coming towards the end of our series. We've spent time this term thinking about the kingdom of God. What does it look like? What's the shape of it? What, is it, um, what are the values of it? And we've explored quite a lot and we've seen this upside down understanding of the kingdom of God. And today we're going to think about what it means to be a citizen of that kingdom. There are some overlaps because obviously it is a theme with lots of strands that that relate to one another. So some of what I will be saying relates to some of the things that we have already looked at. Some of my sermons come quite clear cut. Others are organic. In fact, most of them are pretty organic. This one's particularly organic. (laughs) And as I've gone through this week... At the beginning of the week, I had quite a clear thought as to to where it was going. That direction hasn't changed. But throughout the week, I have been in various contexts where I've heard different things that I think, wow, that relates to what I want to say on Sunday. Even this morning, a, a, a blog came through. And there's a passage in that that is so relevant to what I want to say. So as well as my thoughts and my directions, I want to to give you a little bit of a a smorgasbord of other things that I've heard this week that have struck me that seem to relate to the topic. So um, a little bit of a mixture of things this morning with some sharing of other stuff that's come to me. It's really exciting you think that this topic is out there. That actually other people are talking about the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. How exciting that that is out there and that we are kind of sharing with other people this idea of what it means to be citizens of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your kingdom. We praise you that you are king. And we long to know what it means to follow you more and more. We long to see your kingdom established here on earth. And would you show us today what you are saying to each one of us individually and to us as a church about our part in your kingdom. Amen. So we've got two passages which look slightly different, but they will come together and you'll see how. But what we've established is that Jesus is king of God's kingdom. God has established his kingdom through the reign of Jesus. Jesus' death and resurrection has brought in his kingdom in a new way. And we are part of that new kingdom. And as individuals, we're not forced into that kingdom. We choose to belong to God's kingdom or not to belong to God's kingdom. It is not forced upon us. And we've been thinking about what the kingdom looks like and now what it means to actually belong and be part of that. But if we start with Matthew 16. This is the confession of Peter. Peter is a disciple of Jesus. He's travelled with him now for quite some time. He's seen a lot of things. He started by thinking that Jesus is a rabbi, a teacher. doesn't realise at that point there's anything more about him. And as he has travelled with him, learning, watching, observing, spending time with him. He, in his own journey, has come to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. And this is a pivotal moment, both for for Peter and for Jesus. Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi. And from this point on, he's going to be moving towards Jerusalem. And that means he's moving towards the end of his ministry and all that that is going to bring. Jesus is now aware of where that is going and he knows that this is a pivotal moment. A lot of the groundwork has been done 
and he's coming towards the end. And at this point, he gets Peter before him and says, Peter, who do people say I am? And Peter says, well, some folk are saying that you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others saying Jeremiah or one of the prophets. People are realizing there is something different about this particular teacher more than they imagined some of the others. So they're beginning to think, oh, there is something about him. Is he John the Baptist? They thought John the Baptist, you know, he was dead, but, you know, had he come back in some way? Elijah didn't seem to have a death as normal. He was elevated up into heaven, and there was always some thought that Elijah would return. So you can see what's going on in their heads. And then Jesus turns to Peter and says, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And at this point, we see that Peter is aware of who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ. It's a title at this point rather than a name. And the Christ is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who they were all waiting for, the saviour who is going to come and deliver them. And Peter has realised that this is who Jesus is. You are the Christ. And for Jesus, this is important because he's then able to say, and my ministry is going to continue on. Jesus knows his personal ministry is coming towards an end. But he turns to Peter and says, on you, on this rock, I will build my church. And the continuation of Jesus' ministry will be established through Peter and through the ongoing of all the disciples who are to come afterwards. Now, I've picked this because I want us to realize that there is a journey in our belonging to the kingdom of God. Fundamentally, if we belong to the kingdom of God, if we're citizens of the kingdom, we know that that God is king, that Jesus is king, and we are going to serve them. But that might not come in an instant. And for most of us, there's a journey. There's actually a journey throughout the whole of our lives to understand what that actually means, that Jesus is king and Lord of our lives. But for each one of us, there'll be a sense of traveling and journeying. Peter didn't realize to begin with who Jesus was. We need to travel and grow and understand. So there's movement in being a citizen of the kingdom of God. We need to understand what that means. And we need to come to a point where we choose to follow that or not. So there's traveling, there's movement. It doesn't happen all at once. And even once we have that sense of wanting to belong to the kingdom, the journey doesn't end there. We know Peter's journey. He's made a confession. He says, I know who you are. I know who you are, Jesus. But we know how how he gets it wrong time and time again afterwards. And his own understanding and his own journey deepens and continues and travels on. So it's not like getting a passport. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of God. Being a citizen, belonging to the kingdom of God is a journey. It's about traveling in deeper understanding, deeper knowledge, deeper intimacy, deeper, deeper, deeper. It's not a once and for all. We are citizens and that changes and grows and develops. And as we look back on our lives, we should see growth. We shouldn't be where we were 25 years ago because our journey with Jesus takes us on and on and on. So that's the first thing I want to say, is that there is movement, there's travel, there's journeying. But if we go back to Matthew 7, which isn't a very easy passage, I want us to be real about this journey. 
Because what? This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you remember, in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount comes very early on in Jesus' ministry. He gathers people around him and he sort of lays out his manifesto. He preaches for about five or six chapters and there's lots of teaching within that sermon. And at this point, he's coming towards the end of the sermon. And he's actually saying, I've told you a lot about what it means to live as a follower of me. But we're going to get a bit real about this now. It's not an easy journey. It's not easy. Being a citizen of the kingdom of God isn't an easy journey. So the first image we have here is the narrow and the wide gate. And as a citizen of the kingdom of God, we enter through the narrow gate rather than the wide gate. Now, if you imagine Jerusalem, as it would have been, with many gates around the city, And people coming into Jerusalem with their, they didn't come alone, most of them. They'd have come with, you know, camels, horses, other people. They chose the wide gates because it's easy to get through. You don't choose the narrow little gate because it's tricky and difficult. And the image that we have here is that actually traveling with Jesus means not always following the easy route. It's taking sometimes the difficult route. Now we know that traveling with Jesus brings joy and peace and all those lovely values that we've talked about. But Jesus is being real and saying actually it means making tough choices, not going with the flow, not always taking the easy route, but going the way of the narrow gate. Tom Wright, when he writes about this, Tom Wright is a fantastic New Testament scholar, and he says that this passage here is a bit like road signs warning signs that are coming up. You know, watch out, it's going to be a narrow road ahead. Watch out, there's going to be a steep curve. And it's like Jesus is saying, I'm putting up some road signs for you. The way of the kingdom of God is the narrow way. Be warned about it, but be prepared for it. I'm telling you, so you can prepare yourself and you know this is the way that you will have to go. Why isn't it easy? There's sin, there's temptation. And that's what Colin was speaking about last Sunday. We know how easy it is to be tempted to sin. We've confessed already this morning because our human nature is such that sin features in our lives. So choosing God's way is to turn against that and that isn't always easy. Colin preached beautifully about that last week the reality of sin and temptation in our lives. Another way in which it's difficult is that we will hear other voices. And it talks, out about, it talks here in verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly there are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. There are many, many voices telling us of how to live our lives. Newspapers, magazines, People living next to us, businessmen, advertising, politicians. The numbers of voices that we hear that clamour for our attention will tell us a whole range of things. And we need to be aware and prepared that not all those voices are helpful. Here's my little bit of my potpourri of other people's input. Yesterday, I was at the cathedral for the inauguration of Bishop Andrew. And he spoke brilliantly. But he, towards the end of his sermon, reminded us of something in Greek mythology. 
he talked about the sirens. And the sirens were these voices that lured the the, um, seafaring sailors onto the rocks where they crashed. And there were two stories about how people reacted to that. One was the sailors who filled their ears with wax in order not to hear them. And the other was Orpheus, who played the harp beautifully. And he played a stronger tune so that the sailors couldn't hear the sirens. And this is what Bishop Andrew said. This is our challenge today. This is about the voices that we hear, the songs of the sirens, the murderous songs of religious extremism, the mocking songs of the new atheists, the songs that promise fulfillment through fame or constant accumulation, through sexual promiscuity or the lure of the bottle, are deeply seductive songs. They also lead to shipwreck after shipwreck. But the Christian calling is not to fill our ears with wax. It is rather to pick up our harps and sing a more beautiful, life-giving song. The song of the one who laid hands on sick people and made them well, who mixed with bad people and made them good, who turned mourning into dancing, death into life, the song of the one in whose service we find perfect freedom. We hear other voices, but we need to play our tune louder. And that's all about knowing the values of the kingdom of God, where bad is turned to good, where we are known by our fruits, where death leads to life, not life to death. The way is hard because of all that we hear. But as a citizen, we know our tune and we play it. And then thirdly, why is the way difficult? Because it needs total commitment. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I have found that verse really hard. And I had a bit of a revelation this week as I spent time studying it. On Monday, when I opened up the passages and remembered what I was preaching on, I was thinking, "Hmm, can I change the passage? Because it's really hard. Because what I've always thought is, this is about people who have made a commitment, but somehow that's not enough. And that is really hard. Because if people have acknowledged God as Lord, how can they not? Why didn't I know this before? I'll tell you about, you know, you're learning all the time. But by spending time studying this passage and reading the commentaries, This is where language is really important. I looked at that word Lord in a totally different way to what it means. It means master or sir. It doesn't mean king or lord of my life. And what this is saying is that deference to Jesus isn't enough. We need to be totally committed to him. It's not enough to say Jesus is a good man. Master, sir, great person. If we're a citizen of the kingdom, Jesus is our king. And he's the Lord of our life. And that takes effort and commitment. And it suddenly brought new light to me. And I can read that passage and I think that's okay. It's not talking about what I thought it was talking about. It's talking about something different. It's saying to be a citizen of the kingdom of God means that you acknowledge God, Jesus, as king. As king of our lives. And if they're king, we follow them and serve them with every aspect of our life. It is their way, not my way. 
he is Lord in the way that I mean it because he has rule over my life. I don't have rule over my own life. And that's hard. It takes commitment and it takes effort. And because of all these other voices and temptations around us, we have to be solid in who we are and know who our master is, know who our king is, know that he rules over my life. And when I'm feeling selfish, that is my way, not God's way. And in my life, I should reflect the values of Jesus, the king who came to serve, the king who came to be concerned about mercy, justice, forgiveness, love, grace. Is that reflected in my life? It takes commitment. So we choose the harder way and we shape our lives to be like Jesus. And as we've talked about over the last few weeks, there's a reversal of values. So as a citizen of God's kingdom, it's not about me. It's about God. And as a church of the kingdom, it isn't actually about what we want to do Sunday by Sunday. It's about what God wants to do amongst us. And we need to continually turn to him and say, if you are Lord of this church, if you are king of this church, have your way amongst us. It's not about what I want, what we want. It's about what God wants to do amongst us in establishing his kingdom. That's what it means to be a church of the kingdom of God. And it will involve questions. It's not straightforward. If we're citizens of the kingdom, we continue to question and to ask. This is the thing that came in this morning. I get a, an email at Lenten blog. And this is a, a prayer, a poem, written by the Celtic saint Brendan who was known for his long journeys in small boats to bring Christianity to the islands of Ireland and Scotland. So a really important saint who knew that God was calling him to make difficult journeys to take the good news to Ireland and to Scotland. That means a lot to me. This is what he writes. Shall I abandon, O king of mysteries, the soft comforts of home? Shall I turn my back on my native land and turn my face towards the sea? Shall I put myself wholly at your mercy, without silver, without a horse, without fame, without honour? Shall I throw myself wholly upon you, without sword and shield, without food and drink, without a bed to lie on? Shall I say farewell to my beautiful land, placing myself under your yoke? Shall I pour out my heart to you, confessing my manifold sins and begging forgiveness, tears streaming down my cheeks? Shall I leave the prints of my knees on the sandy beach, a record of my final prayer in my native land? Shall I then suffer every kind of wound that the sea can inflict? Shall I take my tiny boat across the wide, sparkling ocean? O King of the glorious heaven, shall I go of my own choice upon the sea? O Christ, will you help me on the wild waves? And this is Kate's comment. Such relentless questioning arises from Brendan's capacity to imagine with vivid detail and disarming honesty the situations that might arise in the hazardous journeying he undertakes. He's fully aware of his own vulnerability. That's what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. We're fully aware of our own vulnerability. Yet he has a deep knowledge that the power who propels him will transcend every weakness and provide every necessity. 
It's something of the quality I imagine Jesus' prayers must have had on those nights he retreated to the hills above the towns, exhausted after another day of the Spirit's power pouring through him, envisaging the next stage of his ministry alone. The wildness of the waves is inevitable. The insufficiency of physical, mental, emotional, spiritual resources for the size of the task is palpable. And yet, a pilgrim steps onto the path. Otherwise, faith is paralysed. And faith, by its very nature, is made to be free-flowing. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we're pilgrims. Inadequate, vulnerable, trusting only in God but who will take that step of faith because we know our God. We know who he is and we know what he will do within us. And as a vulnerable pilgrim, we step out on the path to do what God would do amongst us. And he equips us. He transforms us. He shapes us. He moulds us to be who he has created us to be. He longs for us to live with him because only he knows who we are and only he can mould that within us. But we can't deny the feelings of vulnerability and we must continue to question. So a citizen of the kingdom of God hasn't got it all sorted If you hear Christians just saying, I've got it all sorted, I would question that. And we are honest about our questioning and about the things that we don't understand and the things that we doubt and don't trust. Back to Peter at Caesarea Philippi. He's reached that moment of understanding and recognition of who Jesus is. And Jesus is preparing him for what lies ahead for him. And it's not going to be an easy journey. And for Peter, it's actually going to lead in death as well. But at that moment, Jesus is declaring that he is reconstructing the centerpiece of the world. He is changing how the world is going to be forevermore. And he is establishing God's kingdom. And Tom Wright puts it like this. Jesus at this point is is looking ahead and saying he is going to build a community consisting of all those who give allegiance to him as God's anointed king. So as citizens of the kingdom of God, we have been commissioned and appointed by Jesus to establish the new, the kingdom of God in this place now, not waiting till heaven, And we are part of that ministry established by Jesus. And in that kingdom that we belong to, it's God's values that will reign. And the way of sacrifice, the way of Jesus on the cross, will lead to covenant and relationship. And death will lead to life. Amen.